Ladies, do you have a screenwriting routine? Do we have a screenwriting routine? We have a bit of a screenwriting routine. We do. Um, I guess, well, yeah. Uh, I come over to Janice's after work. We, she cooks dinner. We eat dinner. <laughs> we talk about... Right now, well, right now we're in kind of a rewrite phase, so we're in a place where we're reconceptualizing some of the relationships. So we'll kind of have those kinds of discussions over dinner, and then we'll go downstairs and we'll look at the board, and that's more of a, a plotting, um, kind of figuring out how these new relationships are going to fit into our new plot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and and it usually always involves chocolate in some kind of Ooh, way. That's our that's muse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, Janice, I think you said previously that you write at night, like late at night, and Barrington, you're a morning person. Right. We do, we do both. Right. Um, um, I think I feel more inspired when the world is quiet and the phones aren't ringing and Twitter's not going off or the cell phone isn't going off. And... I can kind of let my imagination just run where it wants to go because there's nothing distracting. And, and I feel like even in the work that I do as a journalist, that's when I get my inspiration. I'm a little bit more relaxed and I'm not, I'm actually not as self-conscious at night as I am in the day. Something about the lights being on and the light being up. Um, makes me a little more like this has to be this way and I think I can play in my mind at night better. Now I have a, a follow-up question to that because mm -hmm. I I know that Janice is somebody who will say oh I'm gonna go to bed I'm gonna set my alarm for like 2 or 3 a.m. and I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna work so when you say you work better at night mm -hmm. is it you stay awake all through the day and then at night you find that place or are you talking about when you've gotten up basically still in the middle of the night. Yeah, when I've gotten up in the middle of the night. So like I'll set my alarm for like two or three o'clock and I'll get up and usually like I'll have a shower. So I'm feeling kind of relaxed and comfortable. And I think when the shower starts, I, I work well by water or with water, I get inspired because I'm not really thinking about what I'm supposed to be writing, but the characters start coming alive to me and and then because I do keep a pad in my bathroom <laughs> just in case I need to write and and then I go downstairs or go in my bedroom or stay in my bedroom and just kind of write things out and kind of freehand things so yeah I, I think being in an atmosphere where I don't feel like I have to write write at eight desk or at a computer. I free write a lot by hand. So, and then I take that and then put it on the, the computer, so. So, yeah, so in that way we're actually pretty similar because it's almost like you're a morning writer, it's just that. It's dark. It's dark. <laughs> it's still dark. <laughs> because, because I'm the same way, I get up in the morning and although I don't shower or do anything, I can't, I am of the Edith Wharton school where I just kind of, open my, like, stay in bed, open my laptop, and then just start working. Because the minute I go outside and see, like, that the sink is full of dishes, I'm like, maybe I'll do a few dishes or something like that. But if, if you just, like, kind of stay in squalor, um, ensconced in your bed, you can get a fair amount done before you have to really face the world. 
So that's that's good. But for me, that's you know because I think we we both tend to have a few projects going on at once. Um, so usually it's not this project that is the morning hours project. Mm -hmm. That's kind of more, although it will be again when we get into the writing, the, out of the discussion phase and into the writing phase. Just out of curiosity, were either of you born at, in the middle of the night or in the early morning? I know sometimes they say people do their best. Ah. Maybe that theory doesn't work here. <laughs> I was born in the afternoon. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I there goes that I think I was born theory. at like 8.21 p.m., but I could mm -hmm. be making okay. it up. But that but that's an interesting work. theory. <laughs> yeah, I heard that, that's but funny. With the writing at night, do you almost feel like there's a pressure to be so perfect that in at nighttime you can kind of let it go? I think that's really interesting. Yeah, I think for me, because daytime is business time. That's when the journalism work gets done. That's when the emails get taken care of. That's when the phones are on. That's when I'm communicating with people. And since I live alone, it's very easy to, for me to use the night as my play, my personal playtime. And so it's the time when after dinner is over and uh, I live in a, a community and so nobody else is awake. You know, even the world is quiet. You know, there's nothing going, I live next to a park so nobody's playing in the park. Um, there's nobody on the street. Um, there are no cars. It's just a very calm, serene, peaceful time. And so I get to, you know, be a little, you know, it's, it sounds a little wicked actually, but, no, no, <laughs> but it's, you know, it. it's like, it's like, that's when I get to, you know, I'm kind of a vampire in that way that I get to, you know, do my thing. And I really get to connect with my either higher power or muse or my other voice and and really exercise that at nighttime so that's that you know that that's when i when i can feel you know even if i'm listening to music that's when i can hear the music and it in it you know music became a big part of this uh, of our screenplay because I am so very connected to music, but I can hear music in a different way than I at night than I can during my daytime. Like something about even a, a string instrument coming out, or or the lyric of a song, um, a particular word in a song, resonates with me in a different way. And so, through the writing process, um, on those times when I was alone and rewriting. Without Barrington, I listened to music a lot and I have certain soundtracks for each character that really helped inspire kind of the mood that I was feeling or the, the flow that I was taking when I was free writing alone. Right. Barrington, for you, is there something about the structure of the morning and knowing that, I think you said you had to be at work or out the door by noon or something. Right, yeah. I work 12 to 5. So oh, great hours. So the, yeah. It's like that. Uh, it's good, so you know, but with commutes and stuff. Yeah. So if I'm if if I'm out at eleven twenty five, I'll be right on time. I'm usually out at like eleven twenty seven, and um, and then you miss the train, and uh, so lateness has a whole different uh, <laughs> kind of trajectory when sure. when you're dealing with some some form of public transportation because like two minutes late becomes the next train, which is. 10 minutes late or 12 minutes late. But anyway, uh, yeah, I'm somebody who 
I'm pretty happy when I'm writing. The morning's good. You wake up, you, you do have less things going on in the morning. Nighttime, I, I used to really be able to get into a place at night, but I think it's mostly worrying about getting up in the morning that keeps me from writing late into the night as much as I used to. Um, more and more, I think I'm getting into a, a place where I, you know, with practice, you get to a place where you can just kind of dive in from almost anywhere. Mm. I mean, I can pretty much write on the train. Uh, if I can get a seat, <laughs> I can. Sure. Um, I can't write when I'm driving, so that's annoying, but um, I can kind of curl up anywhere and get a few words you out. You can't write and drive? <laughs> I know. You know, it's funny because I, you know, like I'll have like a pad mm. on in the passenger side and like I keep a pen. Mm. I keep pads and pens like hidden yeah. all over the house and anywhere. And there are times when like something will hit me and I'm just like, okay. <laughs> sometimes I can read it, sometimes sure. I can't. But yeah, I do, I, I do find that I... I think it's because I drive alone a lot. You know, I'm alone a lot. I'm a single person, and so, um, and so I can choose when to engage with others. And so, I think in my alone times, when you know, even if there's like a particular uh, NPR story that, ha like, we we're working on a story that has some context, sub subtext to uh, Los Angeles and, and housing. And so there was a story on and I was like, oh, I need to write that down mm -hmm. so that I can tell Barrington that we, you know, we heard this, you know, story. So it's, it's really interesting, you know, just thinking mm -hmm. about it now, how connected I am to a pen and a piece of paper <laughs> at all times. Um, but I don't write in cafes well. Um, I tried that. I, it's too distracting for me. Yeah. It's not my favorite yeah. either. I mostly, those are, those are like token writing sessions where a friend is, asks you, they're like, oh, you want to go write at the, you know, blah, blah, blah. You're like, oh, I'd like to catch up with that friend. You don't actually think I have a, if you have a d real deadline, you're like, no. Yeah. <laughs> but. yeah. The only time I did do uh, cafe writing was when I was really trying to eavesdrop on mm. certain kinds of conversations and wanting to get a flow and a rhythm for like a particular voice. Um, that was the only time, but it wasn't, you know, it was there, I was there snooping, I was eavesdropping, <laughs> sure. I was, you know, I wanted to hear something different than I would hear in my own voice. And so th that's when mm -hmm. cafe writing or, or other kinds mm -hmm. of, out, but usually I'm in my, my home office um, or somewhere around my house. Yeah. How long have the two of you been writing partners? Um, Barrington and I have been writing together. I, I would say we're not a traditional writing partnership. We are co-writers on a particular screenplay. Mm -hmm. um, and so we've been doing that now for three years. Three years, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, three, so summer of 2013. 2013, oh. yes, happy anniversary. Thank oh. you. <laughs> <laughs> so it was about, yeah, it was about June. Was it? Yeah, yeah. it was about June when we, yeah. when we connected. So it seems like the two of you are similar, but very different in certain styles of writing. Do you think you could partner up with someone that was just like you? That's a good question. I don't know. I've had very few partnerships mm -hmm. in my career. Um, as I mentioned, I'm a journalist by trade, and so usually I work by myself mostly. 
Um, and this is actually my first uh, feature film screenplay. Mm -hmm. So um, it's been an interesting journey, just kind of feeding off of each other. Um, I think our differences do help us. Um, it's opened me up certainly to um, ideas and concepts and, and a world that I may not have considered. So I think there is benefit, especially for what we're doing, there mm -hmm. is benefit in the differences. There is, um, we're writing an interracial, intercultural, cross-faith <laughs> kind of love story. And so our differences, you know, from where we both racially, where we come from, uh, adds to that. It, it, it really does, you know, we don't often agree on everything. Mm -hmm. You know, we have moments where it's like, no, 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 this is the way it's <laughs> supposed to be and that's how it's supposed to be. But then, you know, you back up and you think, okay, well, this is something valid and maybe I need to consider it. And so, you know, I take, a, you know, some time and like, okay, you remember that thing you were talking about? Let's revisit that. Mm -hmm. So so I think the differences do do add to um, hopefully a deeper complexity of what, what we're trying to do. Yeah. I don't know. I think for me, I, writing with somebody who's just like, like writing with a clone has always been a dream, right? Because somebody can be, somebody's thinking exactly like you're thinking, and, but you can still be doing one thing while work is happening. And especially if you're somebody who's kind of always a little bit time poor um, in, in the various resources, I kind of never have time to worry about the fact that I'm probably money poor because I'm so time poor. But, but I'm always like, oh, where am I gonna put these hours? So this idea of, you know, putting something up there and, and having somebody really understand what you're, where you're coming from um, is this kind of fantasy. But how well would it work, really? I mean, and for something like this, it's like, I know that we have a Persian, we have a Persian wedding scene in our script. Janice got in the car and drove to San Diego and went to a Persian wedding show for an entire day and came back <laughs> at, with tons of, you know, material and vocabulary words and business cards. <laughs> and um, my clone, neither me nor my clone would drive to San Diego and go to the, to the Persian wedding show. Like, we would both be kind of introverted, uh, you know, people like, like I am. So... In that way, like this has been super, you know, it's very complimentary. Would it be the best thing for every script? Maybe no. not every script, yeah, but no. but for this script. For this script, I think it works. And, you know, and, and that, you know, I talk about it a lot. I love the work that Barrington does do, and, and I do enjoy the producing side of things. So it's like, I whatever she mm -hmm. wants to, to do producing, I can produce it. I may not write with her. But I believe in the kind of work that she does, the kinds of characters that she puts out. And so if that was something, th those are ways that I would love to try to work with her some more. Um, but, you know, like my next script is completely different with, you know, it's a musical and it's uh, religious based and it takes a different kind of uh a, a different look and a different exploration that I don't even think Barrington would have an interest in. So 
Um, oh, so I'm interesting coming to see it. It sounds awesome. <laughs> She'll be there opening and, night. Yeah. And I'm already <laughs> interested in like seeing who maybe you partner up with because I mean, there's got to be so many interesting people in the world who are involved with with that kind of thing. Yeah. So. But I think with any partnership, it's it's always about you know a marriage, a writing partnership anything it's about kind of looking and seeing what you have and how those pieces fit together mm -hmm. and i feel like we've we've managed to come up with a pretty good jigsaw cut yeah that works yeah. for us because we just had there was just a best friends day or whatever it was and and you know i have a lot of personal best friends who i grew up with but then i realized you know barrington's my best friend writing friend you know i don't have a relationship with a relationship with another writer mm -hmm. in the way that i have with barrington i mean we've we've had we've now traveled together a couple of times we spend a lot of time together here and you know she has keys to my home mm -hmm. and she comes in she's like i'm home so <laughs> So we're kind of, you know, you know, a, a good little, yeah. good little marriage, as, yeah. as she was saying. So, so she is someone who I, whose whose work I value, whose opinions matter to me, and the relationship is important even beyond the writing of it. So, so I think that's what makes me really want to continue to work with her in some kind of way. It may not be a writing kind of way, but definitely, she's stuck with me. Well, I think one thing that's nice about a partnership that works is when you present an idea and you feel safe telling the other person that idea, even if they don't like it. Mm -hmm. So what works best for the two of you? Is it the blunt, you know what, sorry, excuse my language, this sucks, I don't like it, <laughs> or you know what, could we see if it works like this over here? How does that work between the two of you? I think I we're doing that now. Mm -hmm. You know, there's some there's some sticking points on some things and we're just like, you know, she's like, okay, I'm gonna leave you to this. I'll come back in a couple of days <laughs> and let's talk about it. And so um, I, I do think that, you know, I'm a woman with very strong opinions about a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> and there are things that I feel or intuit in a way that maybe Barrington doesn't. So then I, take what she's said and go, okay, I see where she's coming from and I still don't agree, mm -hmm. or I see where she's coming from and let's see how this works. Um, and so it, it has been a, a, I think the thing that, to back up, I think the thing that I've learned about this partnership and, and really try, we, we both wanna try to make the best product that we can and I think that's the, the core of it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so when she says something and I'm like, oh, that doesn't even, that doesn't make any sense to me. But then I have to, I have to, I have to step back sometimes in the moment or sometimes after and go, you know what, that thing you were talking about, it gave us some consideration. Let's, let's see how this goes and see how this plays out. And so we're going through that now with a particular scene where we're like, <laughs> why is this scene like this? Why should we do it like this? I like it this way, she likes it this way. And we're just kind of trying to figure it out. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think the thing that wins is what we both feel makes it the better story. Right, because, oh, go ahead, sorry. Oh, yeah, I think, <clears throat> I guess, you know, to respond to your question, I think, I think we're both 
we always try to start with a place of, well, I don't know, how do you, you know, how do you think this would work? And, or, you know, what if it was this way? And then, uh, and then there's a, but there's also, there's kind of a spectrum of that. You know, there's the beginning of the conversation and then there's like 10 o'clock at night where you're just like, yeah, no, it's not going to work. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, um, Filters off. Yeah. yeah. But, um, but overall, I mean, I think, I think we, we do have a pretty good uh, rapport where we go back and forth a little bit. And, mm. and when, when it's sticky, we take a little time, we come back together. Sometimes we duke it out and we haven't had like had to resort to flipping coins yet. So no, <laughs> we, we haven't. I like the spectrum analogy mm. because it seems like with any great partnership, you have to be in a place where you're not afraid of hurting one another's feelings, but you don't do it in a way that really wounds someone. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a real decision maker with a lot of things. So I trust, I I think the thing that, that it comes down to is that, that I trust Barrington. Um, and I think that's important. Um, I know she, when she first came on to, you know, came on to help me with the outline, the one thing that I found really revealing about Barrington was that she took care of, you know, she was thoughtful about what she wanted to do and about the characters and 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 inquired and, and wanted to know. And so it may, you know, like this may not have been a project she was like, oh yeah, I'm really gonna co-write this with you right now. It was. It started off as a. I'm a journalist who wrote a book. She had screenwriting experience, and she was going to help me develop an outline that looked the way it was supposed to, when I presented it to a production company, and it was through that process where I think for me it was really. I think I can work with this person are you interested in working with a novice like me? (laughs) And so I think trust was a big, trust was a big deal for me. Um, And uh, I felt like she was somebody that I could open up to and be comfortable um, knowing, you know, because she now knows all my little ugly secrets and the beautiful ones and the really (laughs) wacky ones. And and I and I feel like I can trust her with th- that part of me, so I can also trust her with this, this, this thing that that, you know, I I I've kind of conceived, but we're birthing it together. What do you two consider to be the perfect screenplay, and why? Whether it's your own work, I know this is first time screenwriting for you, although you've written a book and you're a journalist. Yeah two of you perfect screen but whether it's someone else's or even a page out of your own that you're working on I think for me um, because this was my first screenplay one of the things that I wanted to do was read every screenplay I could get my little hands on Um, and one of the um, actually there's three that I've really kind of gravitated to Um, Dallas Buyers Club which I still have yet to see but I have read it and I've read it about four times. I think it's a marvelous screenplay and I'm almost afraid to watch it. I know it did what? well and I just, I, I, it was like a novel. To, it, it read almost 
like a, a novel and sometimes I'm afraid to like look at what that, you know, because it doesn't match my uh, my vision. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, and I know it did well at the Oscars and um, it was very inspiring for me because that was a, a project that took about 20 mm -hmm. years to make. Um, but it's just so well structured, it moves so beautifully. It's so visual in its construct. Um, I felt the same way about uh, Bridesmaids. Um, and then I went back and read um, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, the, uh, the original screenplay for Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. And that screenplay, just the opening, is tons of fun. It's just, I think there's a line in there where it says, you know, these, this, this black man and this white girl kiss in the taxi cab and watch the audience go crazy. It was like they were commenting, you know, this film was done in 1967. It was written in 1967 before, um, the uh, Virginia versus Loving uh, ruling came down that allowed interracial couples to marry in the United States. And so this was still a big deal at the time. And so just reading that first bit of narrative was, was it was hilarious. And it's, and it's just really well done. Yeah. For, I mean, for me, there's just so many. Um, the first, script I think I ever read was uh, Alexander Payne's Election. And he's somebody who has a lot of voice in his, uh, in his scripts. He'll be kind of witty or, you know, you, and, and a lot of times he's adapting. As I think almost always he's adapting from a book. And so maybe some of that is, is coming from that. But I mean, I remember thinking, oh, you have to have style in the way that that you're expressing something and that the tone of your movie can be reflected in the voice of your screenplay. Um, I mean, I love Children of Men. I go back to that a lot. Um, uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind as a movie. And I think I have read the, the I have a picture uh, in, my, in my head of the screenplay and I'm, I'd have to think a little harder about how that translates. What did I just, I'm like halfway through A Beautiful Mind right now. Mm -hmm. um, and that does some really interesting things too. So I don't know about the perfect screenplay, but there's a lot of great movies out there that had as screenplays, great blueprints on their own and in their uh, actualization. Mm -hmm. Because I know when I, I went back to watch, like my, one of my favorite films of all times is Broadcast News. I love that film. And I went back and read the screenplay, and the screenplay is very di is, is different in a lot of ways than what was actually shot. So it gave me a different, and maybe that's why I don't want to see Dallas Myers Club, because I'm like, what if they took this out? Oh no, what if that's not in there? So there were things in the Broadcast News script that weren't in the film and or things that were dialogue that was changed and so it was really interesting because I know that screenplay I mean I know that film so well to then go back and watch the screen uh, to read the screenplay and see how different it was it was it was actually very interesting and revealing but now it's just like oh dog why why wasn't that why wasn't that in the movie yeah. <laughs> you know so so yeah so that's I, yeah that's I think it's I'm actually I'm teaching a uh, class at one of the community colleges this fall and it's going to be my first experience teaching a screenwriting class and we're going to be working with short films 
Um, but the book that I've selected speci is specifically because they have the scripts for the short films in the book, but they are not transcriptions of the movies that got made. Um, because I think it's, it's so important to realize that whatever it is that you're making is only a part of the whole. That, like, that as much as this is a collaborative process, that when we get to the next stage, it's gonna be another collaborative process and then it's going to become something else. Yeah. So I think it, it is interesting. And sometimes you do look back and you're like, something got lost. And then sometimes it just transcends what was there, so. Well, speaking of women that have opinions, <laughs> I just began uh, reading uh, the biography of Susan Sontag, and um, she talks about her upbringing in the first chapter, or, or the book does. Sorry, it's not an autobiography. Um, but, and I know this is this is not a new question, but do you think a good writer starts from strained beginnings? Strained mm. beginnings. And, and did she put that, that phrase into context a little bit? Well, there's a quote as it opens up the book, and she said this in 1987. Um, the distance from my origins is exactly what I like. There is nothing I could return to. Mm. So without going too much into her own personal story, even though she grew up fairly well off, it wasn't a happy beginning, and she never really felt part of where she came from. She always wanted to get out, mm. even though it was a comfortable middle-class upbringing. That's interesting. Right. Okay. So the sorry. The question again yeah. was: Do I think? Do we think what comes from strange beginnings? A, an no. excellent writer, somebody oh, who's writers. really able to go there, deep into the mm -hmm. dark places of the human mind, and up into the the high manic mm -hmm. points at parts. Mm. Do you think it has to come from I don't something know. turbulent? Like, do artists have to suffer? Yeah, and it's that cliche question. Yeah. yeah. But it, I think um, it, there's a lot of truth to it. Yeah, no. I mean, because, you know, having suffered a little myself every once in a while, yeah. like, suffering is about compassion and it's about empathy and it's about, like, if you strained beginnings or certain kinds of suffering, like, strips it kind of strips away a lot of uh, all my, the mem on my Facebook this morning was JK Rowling who was talking about when she hit rock bottom and she wasn't homeless but she was like next best thing to homeless that you could be in Britain and she's like everything else is gone and this is all that's left and and so it's it's easier at that point to kind of look and say what are the important things what are the essential things that you want to convey? What is most important to you, both in your life, like what do you want to do, but I think also in your writing. Um, I don't think it hurts. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that there's some, some people out there who've had really pleasant lives and are also awesome writers. Um, but I think, as, I think as much as we can you know, as, as we can empath, empathize and as much as suffering gives us a little nudge toward that, right. it's helpful. Yeah. I think, you know, I had a, a, a lovely childhood. Um, I grew up middle class. I grew up in Los Angeles. 
but at a certain point I had, you know, challenges with my father and, you know, I'm divorced and, you know, I have health issues and there are certain things that, um, that when I think about where I am now, you know, in my late 40s moving into my 50s, that I can draw from and that I can use and mine. And we were recently in Switzerland workshopping our screenplay and we had an opportunity to work with an actress um, and really go deep. And, and I realized there were things that I was not opening myself up to as a writer um, that could feed the story in a way that, you know, I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to keep that side separate. And when we really opened ourselves up to this hurt and this loss and this um, pain, um, we were like, oh, that could be really good. And I think because my background is in journalism, I'm reflecting on other people's lives and sharing other people's stories. And I'm always focusing that way, focusing outward. And this has really forced me to focus inward on what really, what really hurts and what really, and where my courage has to come from. And in turn, where this character's courage and her truth has to come from. So, um, you know, but I'm not a, you know, I'm not a drinker, I'm not a smoker, I don't do drugs, you know, I don't have those kinds of proclivities, but, you know, which a lot of writers tend to have. Sure. Um, but I do feel like um, my own personal journey has been important in my writing, um, and whether it's as difficult as someone else's, maybe not, but it had its own share of challenges, and so I use that for what I need for this. Excellent. Yeah, we hear a lot about people that have a glass of wine or something else stronger than coffee, you know. What do you think about that? Because I think for some people, and they say all great rock songs have been written, you know, and, and there's, there's, I think, two schools of thought. Mm -hmm. But then you also hear the stories about, you know, Stephen King and on writing, he talks about how his career got to a certain point and he was using mm -hmm. and he had to stop. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, it was, it, you know, it's actually funny because when I first started working on this project, a, a girlfriend of mine who's a writer, she's like, you need to get out of yourself, drink a glass of wine and, you know, two glasses, drink the whole bottle. And I thought, I don't even know how to start with that. But, you know, I get wine for gifts because I'm not a drinker. And so I don't even know what I really would like. And I did. I drank like almost a bottle of wine and I went to sleep. <laughs> oh, no. So it didn't serve me, you know, like I got really energetic and cleaned the house. And then at a certain point, it just it didn't because she her thing was that it relaxes you. It allows you to to let go. But I find when I do my early morning writing, you know, or late night writing um, at three and four a.m., that gives me that that feeds me as much as any. Um, other stimulant or depressant or anything else. Um, so I just I just try to 
I just try to go inside myself and I think because I free write, it allows me to not criticize myself because my free writing is just my, uh, just my thoughts and, and how I'm feeling and things like that. When I go to the computer, that's when the rubber meets the road. This is has this has to be perfect. This has to be good. But if there, you know, but I can see things in my free writing that I'm thinking because even when we were at the workshop in Switzerland, we had this challenge where we had to write a scene, a new scene for our screenplay specific to this character and her mother who had died and it was Mother's Day and it was the first time in my 48 years on this planet that I had not been with my mother on Mother's Day. My mother's still alive, but I wasn't with her and I emailed her and wished her a happy Mother's Day and I felt this disconnect for the first time like, my mother's not here and I'm not celebrating with her and for women who, or for people who have lost their parent, I'm blessed to still have both of mine. But you know, like Father's Day came, my dad and my mother were on their 50th wedding anniversary, you know, trip. So I didn't spend Mother's Day or Father's Day this year with either of my parents. And it was just like this weird disconnect. So I tap into that. I tap into that feeling of, you know, while I was sitting in Switzerland, I was like, talking to my mother, like sharing things with her about what I was doing on that day. And it turned out to be a really nice scene that we acted out during our workshop. And, but it would have never come that way. And I don't know if drugs would have helped <laughs> or anything like that, but it just comes from my let, it comes from my letting go, my personal letting go. Um, so yeah. 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 When you think about drugs and writing, or then there's a couple ways that you, you tend to think, okay, how can it be helping? And one is, is it stimulating creativity? And the other is, is it working by kind of vanquishing inhibitions and your inner critic? And I'm not, uh, I'm also someone for, uh, because of certain health reasons, I, I quit drinking at a certain point and, um, so I don't, I don't really indulge. I had a, and I also had a roommate back in the day and he, I mean, he always wrote his songs, Smoking Pot. They were pretty good songs. Would they have been better songs? I don't know. But so anyway, inhibition or creativity. So if we assume that your creativity is there and, and the only thing that's blocking it is your inhibitions, then I think it's, about generating, about having a practice of being able to kind of dive into that place. Um, and actors have to do it. I recently took an improv class. I think every time I do something like that, every time I do things that, that kind of combat my natural inhibitions, it's, that's good for me. And I, you know, I feel like I'm not bad at it on the page, but then I go out into the world and I'll, you know, and I see people who are great at it, at really like tossing things off. And you know, the, the improv class was, was great. It was a Spolin workshop. 
Um, so not like Second City, I'm being funny, but more like I'm being present, I'm being in the moment, I'm imagining myself fully in this place, and I'm reacting in real time. And, um, and that for me is often the reacting in real time is not a strong suit of mine. I'm a delayed reactor. Um, so all of that, I feel like in terms of my life as, as an artist and a storyteller, it's something where I really do try to keep finding opportunities to work with that so that I can, I can reach that place. Because I think we do, I think, I think everything is tempting if you're, you know, be it, you know, various substances or practices or, or what have you, if you, you want to kind of get to a, a deeper level and, you know, be better than what you are. So I understand that the two of you were selected to be part of some type of group of esteemed screenwriters to go to a castle and write? Yes. Um, and not to self-deprecate. I don't know if it's esteemed, but we were <laughs> super lucky. They, they picked uh, it, the, the associations called Dreamago, and they run a workshop called Pen et Pellicule, which is pen and film in French. And, um, and they do kind of a writer's lab. So maybe in setup a little different, but a little bit the same as if you've heard of the Sundance Screenwriting Lab. Um, so uh, the way they organized it was that they brought in five or six professional consultants um, who are, have you know, writers in their own right or who have been executives who work with, with screenwriters professionally. And then um, they, ten, ten teams of per participants. We, there were two, two or three sets of there teams. There were three sets of teams. Yes. Um, and we were one of them. And we were one. And so you would read everybody's script from, you know, who was going. And so you had a set of, you would meet with each of the professional consultants, and then you would also meet with all the other screenwriters individually and kind of exchange notes. So we ended up with 14 sets of notes. <laughs> Which I understand you wrote a blog post. Ah. A uh, little, mm -hmm. little bit of research. Very good background and, research. Yeah, two-headed monster about <laughs> notes, which I yes. find interesting. How was that to receive notes as a group versus maybe the usual way of just individually? Well, I, yeah. I think that, you know, like for me, since this was my first time doing um, a workshop of this nature, I mean, I went back to school and got a, an advanced degree. And so we had workshop, I, I had done workshops with my work there. But this was a lot of, uh, first of all, it was an international um, group of people. So um, there were people from Cuba and from Switzerland and from France and uh, we were the only U.S. script that was uh, accepted into the program which I'm actually quite proud of um, and the only English language script that was chosen. So so we had in, you know we had translators and so there was you know there were moments where we would you know and Barrington studied very vigorously uh, her Spanish. I have some Spanish background um, but uh, neither of us are fluent and so it was kind of trying to make sure did we understand the translation well? <laughs> did we understand um, the context in, you know, so like my, my questions were always kind of, you know, if there was a, a question about a note, then, you know, I wanted to, to know 
specifically like where that came from, whether it be like a man that was talking to us from Cuba who had a different, you know, understanding of this particular cultural world than than we did. And so, you know, it was it was wonderful and exhausting and uh, lots of notes. Um, and so like that, you know, that's what we, you know, we're really fishing through and kind of sorting out like, there are certain through lines, thankfully, that, you know, when people were talking about deeper, more complex or those kinds of things, that is easy to understand and, and ride. But then when someone says, oh, this scene should definitely not be there. And someone else says, that scene is the best scene in the whole film. And you're like, okay. <laughs> so so it's just about, for for me at least, um, and I was talking to Barrington about this this morning. Um, one of the things that I had to do was like take into context all the notes and all the comments and all the everything and then go back inside and go, what am I really trying to say here? And what fits with what we're trying to say and what helps strengthen what we're trying to say? Because there, there is so much like, oh, that's a great idea, or I never thought about that, or dang, they want us to lose that whole thing. That was my favorite part. Um, and so it really is about remembering what the story is you want to try to tell, or at least that that's kind of how I'm going at it, and what makes sense to help propel that to a better place. And so, you know, um, it was a manic week of screenings and writing and listening to criticism and eating, <laughs> which, you know, we have no problem with. Um, but it's, it's intense. It's very, very intense. And so for me, um, you know, between the jet lag and, and all those other things that happen to one's body, just trying to be present, trying to understand, um, and trying to stay awake and you know really fully take things in because you know sleep deprivation fits into all that stuff but it was the most exciting thing because in that you know in those moments and in those opportunities you know getting to sit at a bench that had a heartbeat can't beat it for inspiration. <laughs> <laughs> so there was there was a bench outside the um, outside the castle. It was kind of like an art installation. It's an art installation. Mm -hmm. And so, like you you, if you sat on it, you it would kind of start it, to it would it, 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 pul it pulsates. I thought you meant it was a metaphor. For no, something. It, okay. no, <laughs> it's an actual physical. It's an actual thing. physical heart beating or, or beating uh, bench. And so I and that's kind of. And it was funny because that's where I sat when I was writing my notes about this character and her mother who was deceased being separated from my mother who was in Los Angeles and I was in Switzerland. Mother's Day. Um, on Mother's Day. And there's this pulsating wow. around me and inside of me. And so it, it, it was, you know, and it was so funny because, the, you know, and I've, I've told this story before, you know, some of the consultants, I just connected with them, you know, like some of them, I just genuinely connected with them as people. And, you know, one of the, the, the consultants, 
there was a really stressful evening one evening and I was just like, <sighs> you know, and Barrington was just like, oh, this is, you know, she lets it out in one way and I'm just like, <sighs> <laughs> and to his credit, he took me out to the, um, to the outside and he's like, just scream your head off. Just, just let, he's like, because it will make you sick. He's like, you can't keep this. So I find myself now, like when things really stress me out, to just find ways to let it go, even if I just go to the beach and just go. <laughs> There's a new movement that does that. Really? It's like primal screaming. Yes. So, you know, so I got more out of that than just the writing. I think that was really important to me, you know. It feeds what I'm doing as a writer, but there was so much more. Um, and even when that same consultant and I were talking, he's like, could this be done in Los Angeles? And I was like, nope. You couldn't, could. I, I don't think you could do the same. Oh, the lab. Work, the lab, mm -hmm. that, that experience and get that, because we were in a small town, it was surrounded by vineyards. Um, it's, it's, it's a very, different kind of experience like the town shut down on Sundays I haven't met that since my you know young mm -hmm. days in the south like in you know and now everything's open and you know like where my mother's from everything's open on Sunday but that place shut down except for the cinema mm -hmm. and one grocery store was open to like two or three something like that but it you know like everything just kind of got quiet and some of the rest some of the pubs and restaurants stayed open but it was just kind of like serene it was like this is sunday yeah and i haven't met that in a while so that was just like wow um so there were other experiences that went along with that that to me were were inspiring and and i think it it did bring Barrington and I closer together, I think, mm -hmm. uh, because we had, even though we had traveled together before, this was the first time we'd been on a plane together and traveled for 14 yeah. hours together <laughs> and we were working together. We were living in the same space before we had, um, we had gone to Austin for a film festival, but she came after I did. We were staying in separate uh, venues and so we would just kind of meet up like and then we dined together you know like we had to eat, you know we we would often eat together because sometimes we were the only english speakers at a, at the table and other people would be talking in their own language so so it was one of those things where you know like i learned a lot more about she and her husband and how they got together like i've known her for 3 years i didn't know how they you know like that how that story came about and it had an impact on you know when they gave notes she was like, yeah, well, you know, when when my husband and I were together, this was how, and I was like, oh, we could do that. Like, yeah. <laughs> so it was like, it was this really great sharing of, of ideas and time and personal space. Because um, like I've said, I live alone. So, you know, like I was with Barrington for a whole week and, you know, and, uh, you know, She's like, do I snore? And, you know, or, you know, in bathrooms, you know, women in bathroom space. <laughs> you know? So, so, you know, so those things really did kind of enhance the partnership in my, in my estimation, even including the writing.
Yeah. So, oh, you'd asked about just the the note getting process. Yeah. Oh, and I'm getting, sorry. Getting notes. <laughs> I went all on that tangent. You cut that off. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's good. But um, but yeah, and I have a follow up too. After. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. Um, but yeah. So I guess two things. You know, Janice talked about it a little bit. You know, one is there's the there's the actual moment of getting you know, getting the notes and how you respond to notes. And, and she's somebody who definitely like likes to kind of follow up and ask questions and investigate. She's I'm a, a journalist. journalist. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, and I kind of come from this, uh, this, uh, you know, writers in in writing parlance, they're like, you're in the booth and you don't really get to respond. You don't respond to notes um, when like for a certain point, like, so there's, there's a theory of getting notes that when somebody's giving you notes that that you kind of try to stay very neutral because any reactions that you give to them is then going to provoke them to change the kind of response that they're giving to you because we have this humanity where we don't want to hurt people's feelings and we want you know people to like us and and things like that so so you kind of so I'm kind of like okay you know so my just my natural I don't know if it's natural but my over the years kind of bonsai uh, together shape of things is that you know I just I'm like okay maybe I don't entirely understand that note in the moment but I'm just gonna like listen to all the notes and then that's today me, and then tomorrow me's gonna go figure it out. <laughs> um, so that's the ideal, right? But then in practice, of course, it's emotionally confronting all the time. And, and for your, like, if you're just by yourself and you're getting notes, then, you, you know, you're all, you're gonna be thinking, oh, well, what are they talking about? Can I fix this? And, and where did this go wrong? And da, da, da. And so when you have two people, you have two people who were responsible for the writing. You have two people who are thinking those things. You have two people who are, who are kind of thinking, oh, yeah, that is a flaw. And I thought it was a flaw when we did it. But this other person didn't think it was a flaw. And so, you know, it's, uh, it does, uh, you know, it does bring you closer because you have to work through all of that and and say okay now we're going to go back to the drawing board and and then later on there's interpretation of those notes well i don't know if they really meant that note and like i don't was this the it was this the important part or was this the important part so it's it's just another i mean it's it's collaboration right but it's 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 adding a layer of interpretation and judgment to everything that you do. Um, but it's also, um, it's kind of comforting in a way because you have this person who's with you when you're getting these, getting these notes and you know that this person is supporting you and if you're going someplace kind of emotional, if you feel safe with that person, um, that's a you know so it works both ways yeah interesting were these handwritten notes type notes almost uh, all verbal all verbal it, yeah. okay right. yeah so, so you're sitting sessions. there like yeah sitting across the table from someone and they're you know kind of maybe they're referring to notes but they're giving them to you person to person right yeah. interesting
So how many writers were there altogether? Not not the actual note givers, but the actual writers being critiqued. So 13, 12 to yeah. 13. There was one team um, who was a, it was a husband-wife team, and she was there part-time because they just had a baby and together. Then, so he was there full-time. And then there was another writing team, Jack and... Um... Right. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so 10 scripts and Jacques y Jérôme. Yes, yeah. Jerome. We're, yeah, we're a so, team. And so we were there were, team, yeah. So. so I guess that makes 10, 12, 12 like 13, 14. Yeah. yeah. So of the of the writers that were there, my job again. Of the writers that were there at this castle being critiqued, <laughs> what did you observe about their temperament and how they worked? What were the similarities that you saw? Like, ooh, I do that too. Isn't that funny? Mm. That's kind of this like mm. writer's temperament. And then there's other things that you maybe didn't identify with, but how are you so similar? Yeah, well, I thought it was, it's a very interesting group because um, because uh, a few of them have an acting background, and when you come to writing from acting, I think you're coming from a little bit of a different place. So those people, I thought I could feel being, you know, they're a little more extroverted, and they're, they're kind of tend to be, I think they're approaching things a little more emotionally, um, from you know, from character, um, and then quite a few of them were also filmmakers um, in their own right. Uh, like a lot of them were working on documentaries, um, were directors, and so um, I was, I was really impressed, just with the kind of the the comportment, the confidence. That, that people really seem to have. Um, That's interesting, how so? Confidence in terms of how they presented their work, like they weren't afraid to show it? Yeah, I think I'm kind of thinking of Julie, just like, just calm, and they've been around the block a few times. We're working in, in kind of an independent film arena with this film. Um, so I think here it's very hard because you're really at the bottom of the barrel. People kind of look at it and they're like, oh, the writing's good, but who's going to buy this? Who's going to watch this? Who's going to distribute this? And um, you get to Europe where, where a lot of, um, you know, a lot of issue-related films, a lot of documentaries, they're funded by the places that they come from. The state funds you. If you live in Colombia, every like while we were there, we were kind of putting together our 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 application packet for Sundance Labs. But the other people who were there were putting together their stuff for the government funding from Colombia. Um, so you, right? You know, it's like I think here you spend. I I don't. I could be totally wrong. I feel like I'm somebody who spent a fair amount of time studying, a fair amount of time aspiring. And until somebody really takes something and says, I'm going to pay you for your time, I love what you're doing, we're going to make this, um, you're, still, you're still kind of reaching for that. And so you're working in working with people who are already there. They're like, oh yeah, I've been shooting this documentary for seven years and I know where the funding is for the post and we're going to you know, put it together and then they're going to show it somewhere. It's kind of like, Maybe it's that I'm like, oh, they feel more grown up than me. <laughs> right, okay. I, Not I, that I they're working yeah. more or even working harder or even, you know, 
that we aren't kind of comparable in our knowledge about things. But there was, you know, there was just kind of like a, a calmness sometimes. And then sometimes it's also like being at summer camp. Like, so by the end of the week, nerves are frayed. Everybody's like on their 12th set of notes. They're like, yes, yes, you've told me, you know, 12 other people have told me that this flaw exists and now you're telling me again. And then people get a little snappy. Sure, you know, sure. Yeah. The, yes. Kind of like the real world screenwriting yeah. version. <laughs> yes. <laughs> They're like, right. you know, why are you smoking on the porch? Why are you on the porch if you don't want to be near the smoke? And, you know, like those sure. things, like the real world starts encroaching. Ten words every screenwriter should know and utilize in their script, feature-length script. Ten words they should know no. and utilize in the script? In their script, right. Moving from, let's say, great or something simple to something more like arduous, stodgy, Byzantine, like, are there certain words, I mean, this is just like this sort of strange throwaway question, but sometimes yeah. it's important because it gets people out of the, just the So things writing. that they should put, words they should put into their screenplay. Yeah, something, favorite flavorful words. Yeah, I don't know that I'm gonna be able to do, I'm, I'm always terrible at, you know, my, the, at top 10 lists. Um, I, will, I will say I come, from a background where, uh, where I try not to use versions of to be, and these kind of like Jaren words, like if you know she is walking, uh, you know she walks to the door. You're like, what's the difference? But um, you're kind of looking for the more visceral words. Um, so and and you are looking for, you're looking for the verbs that. Uh, that kind of let you not have to use adverbs. So, you know, you're trying, constantly trying to stay away from those kind of L-Y adverbs. So, you know, you don't say she, she you could, you could say she, she starts walking to the door confidently, or you could say she struts to the door. So you're looking for those robust kind of muscular words. Do I have a list of those words? I, I don't know that I do, but I, I know that I'm always searching for them. Um, do you have any I, thoughts? Yeah, Maybe I, coming from journalism. You know, and that's the f that it, it's 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 an interesting question that I strangely can't answer uh, because there's so many beautiful words that one could use and and when i think you know and i can't even think about one from even our script that i was just like that was the most marvelous word ever um <laughs> <laughs> i think that um a lot of what barrington has said just just finding ways to utilize the language that is bright and full and even complex um, are great things to do, but again, one particular word or a series of words, because they are always dependent on what you're writing about. Because um, I, you know, I love the word lithe, but I would never <laughs> see that in I our script. I don't think that's in our script. That, that would never be in our script because that doesn't describe anyone in our script. Um, but I, it's, a, it's a word that I particularly love because it says so much 
and it's such a little word um, or a petite word. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I don't. Yeah, I that's, think that's that's a hard one. I usually can answer anything, but that yeah. one, that, that's a stumper. I think about verbs a lot, and and maybe because of the medium, I think I, I try to think about light. I mean, it's a it's a two dimensional medium, and you can't really smell things, and and the dialogue is there, so you can kind of you know we do this thing where we cap the the sounds. You know, the car screeches around the corner to like kind of give you that that sense. But I think also understanding that there's you know glistens is you know and glows and um, yeah like the light is wa you know kind of watery or you know trying to to get to transmit the texture of things the sheen of things um, is is interesting probably not always applicable depending on your subject matter but um, yeah. I use my thesaurus a lot, so uh -huh. it's, it's my favorite book. <laughs> what about writing prompts? What if you're kind of stuck with something? What do you use as a prompt? I know you had talked about going to a cafe only to eavesdrop and get ideas, which sounds great, but I know there's other, other things that can jog someone's creativity and you know how you have those in all these writing classes, you'll the teacher, okay, take out a piece of paper. Okay, I want you to look at, you know, what you had for breakfast this morning, something very simple like that. But there's other more sort of obscure Sure, jobs. yeah. I mean, I think for s just getting s something started, like I, I can't write at all is almost, oh, it's, it's almost a dream to me now. I think because you, what happens is you get in a place where, projects are lengthy and you're in the middle of projects and so usually you're you're fixing things uh, or reinterpret you know kind of reinterpreting things like you, so you kind of already know where you're gonna go but just in terms of like if I have a blank slate and this fictional life where like all my projects were finished I'm like what am I gonna do next I do love I love prompts bef uh, at early early in my writing career I had kind of one of those books that was the writer's book of days and and it just has you know what is the coldest day that you've ever experienced and then you can do fiction you can do non nonfiction the coldest day it just takes those words like little you know there's the the one where you open a book and pick a sentence um, and then you write from that um, I saw one the other day uh, as I was flipping through the short film book I'm going to be using and it I can't remember but it was like they had something kind of set up and the person has to make a decision and so and and I thought that was really nice because it implies character and action and motivation all in that same thing whereas you know the coldest day could end up just being kind of like analogy for snow on trees like this if once you know there's a decision, you know a lot of things. Um, so those kinds of things. I don't know if you've ever... Um, you know, I think when I was working on my thesis, I did prompts a lot because I was on a deadline. I felt like it had to be perfect. And one of my girlfriends bought me that writer's block <laughs> book that's like a block of prompts and it has pictures and words and things like that so I would start off with that but sometimes even putting myself on a timer and just going 
write something. You know, just, just the act of and finding, you know, like I'd end up writing about dancing or music or, you know, anything that that sound, the sound was often very, because um, I, I had like a little egg timer and just the ticking of it. Um, I think, I, I do think that I, that I connect rhythmically to things. Um, and so like water, like, you know, sometimes showers are just a, a great, <laughs> prompt you know mm -hmm. to get myself outside of myself um, so there isn't I, I don't tend to use prompts a lot um, but I do you know use music as a way to get out of myself and into something else um, you know um, but nothing that sounds grand or fantastic it's 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 whatever gets me outside of myself is what usually is a great prompt for me i think <laughs> i was looking at another talented screenwriter's site and her name is shellygustavuson.com and she says in this one article there are stories that you figure out and then write and then there are stories that you figure out as you write them any thoughts Ah, that's interesting. I stories that you figure out and then write, or stories that you figure out as you write them. I think that's true. I think that's true both for my work as a journalist and a screenwriter. I mean, I can go into an interview believing that it's going to go one way, and it turns out to be an, an entirely new thing. I mean, it's a little off topic, but um, I remember when 9-11 happened and I was supposed to have interviewed John Schneider at that time. <laughs> um, he was uh, sup uh, the Superman. Uh, father. Uh, he was the father of Superman mm -hmm. for the CW Smallville. show. Yeah. For Smallville, thank you. And um, we had been trying to get this thing together. You know, we had canceled and he was out of town and and so I contacted his publicist and she's like, no, he still wants to do it. Um, and it was the day that George Bush was delivering the prayer um, after 9-11. And I was on the freeway and we still hadn't heard from one of my cousins who lived in uh, New York. And so I'm just like weeping in the car and it's just, it was just so stressful. And so I pull myself together, I go to his home, his wife lets me in. He's upstairs watching the prayer. Um, and so I'm like trying to get myself composed. And he comes down and I'm, you know, I've got journalism face on, journalist face on, you know, hello, how are you? And he's like, did you know anybody? And all I kept thinking of is we don't know where Barbara is. And I just broke down. And so, you know, what I thought was just going to be this innocuous personality profile about this actor turned into a really interesting, revealing story, not only about the character he was playing, but what justice and what uh, patriotism and, and all these things meant. So, you know, a story that was supposed to be this, you know, cute little personality profile about, 
this actor turned into something deeper and richer and you know, I talked to my editor about whether or not I should include the fact that I wept on this man's white shirt. <laughs> and, you know, and so it was it was one of those things even now in kind of what we're doing, the work that we're doing, we had a certain, you know, focus and 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 idea about it. And I think as we've gone through the screen this screenwriting workshop in Switzerland and the experiences that we've had there. Um, just stepping back from the screenplay for a couple of weeks and then coming back and just kind of reevaluating what it, what is it that we're trying to say and, and how are we saying it and are we really affecting not only good story but are we really saying something with the way that we're going I think it can happen but I think it definitely can happen both ways um, and uh, I was open to it as a journalist because it was always fun. It, it's, 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 it's like a discovery, you know, when, when you have preconceptions of what your story is, but then it develops into something very different. Um, I think there's something very exciting about that and something uh, very, um, very freeing about it if you allow yourself to open yourself to that. It can be, you know, you can go in a direction, because I think even to a certain extent, some of the things that we've done, at least in this screenplay, um, have moved further from what I thought my original idea was, but it's so much better. And like, I'm working on a documentary where I thought I was going to have a particular story that was going to go in a particular way, and time and finances, because I don't have the money to continue to generate it, um, once it's done, I can see it, it, it's, it's, it's already a different story because there was a particular time frame on that story that I thought, oh, I'm going to get it done and I'm going to get this and, you know, and the personality is going to be great and it didn't turn out that way, you know? Um, and so looking at how that story can evolve now, it's going to be a not, you know, the story that I was wanting to tell was great this story could be even greater because of not only my experience and time, but because of new circumstances and new developments and new undertones and, and things like that. So, um, so yeah, I think it can, I, I, I definitely think working with, a, with something and, and, and having it be what you thought it was going to be is great but also the discovery of something new from what you thought you had um, is also a, a wonderful yeah. gift. I think, yeah, from really, if I'm honest, I'm always figuring it out as, as I write. Even if I go in thinking that I know what it is, um, I'm still gonna end up figuring it out at, as I go, um, yeah. <laughs> There's, I have inside out writing and, and outside in writing. Um, and the outside in will tend to be something where there's kind of an external story. And then so you're kind of, you've got the container a little bit and then you're figuring out all of the ways that you're furnishing and arranging what's in that container and generating some new stuff. Um, but, and then when, Occasionally, I, 
I have the luxury of doing kind of what I call the inside out where you just, you have almost nothing. You have like, you woke up in the middle of the night with like an image in your head or, you know, you just kind of this very fragmentary thing, like a grain of sand. And, and then it's like you're making stone, narrative stone soup. You're like, here's the pebble. And then, you know, do you know the story of stone, stone soup? You know, they go around, they get the, the meat and the carrots and, and everything. And then it's more like, it's like found art, like just pulling all of the, the things from your life, your memories and what's going on. And, and you're kind of building it out from, from this little thing and it becomes something um, where you really didn't have much of an idea what it was gonna be at all. And so that's, that's pretty fun. Um, and, and that would, again, of course, be an example of figuring it out as you, as you go. The difference between editing, revising, and just plain skimming your work or a page that you've done for the day, either skimming it, praising it, or skimming it, unfortunately, trashing it, mm -hmm. being critical of it. So what are the differences between the three? Editing, revising, and skimming. Or are they all kind of the same in some sense? Skimming is what I do when I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> um, then you're kind of, and, okay, so editing, editing, revising, skimming. Interesting. I don't know how often I ever skim. A skim would be like a copy edit or I literally kind of just, I don't even, I'm, I'm just tired and I'm like, okay, I'm just going to read this through and maybe, um, oh, I can't remember Eric, maybe it was Eric Roth. He's a screenwriter. Is he the one who did Benjamin Button? And what he, he talks about when he writes, he always starts at the beginning and reads through up to where every day he reads through up to where he's going to start writing and then writes from there. And of course, in the reading through, there's little things you want to change. Um, so, so I'll do that. But for actual, and, and then there's editing, like copy editing, and I make tons of typos. So I definitely do that <laughs> as well. Um, and then I give it to other people to edit, and then I edit it again, and then there's, it's still a mess. Um, but, uh, but revision, I try to approach it as a very, specific process whereby I go into it with a plan. Um, I'm like, okay, this is a scene and the scene has these building blocks and it's weak in a certain, like there's a beginning, a middle and an end and it needs some kind of adjustment. Um, and, and so I try to look within that scene at kind of the polarity, you know, like there's a little tiny, usually a little tiny character arc within the scene, right? Somebody you know, opens the door for their date, help, you know, hopeful, and then they have a little conversation, and by the time they get to the car, they're feeling like, this is gonna be great, or by the time they get to the car, they're like, this is already a disaster. And those are two different things. And so a lot of times, I think the revision process is, is you've kind of looked at the scene in terms of, of tracking what the character is gonna go through throughout the entire script, where it is, where does this scene fit into it? How is it setting up for other things? What does it need to do? So I look at it in terms of function and in terms of those building blocks. And I, so when I revise, I have a very, I'm like, now it does this and I want it 
to either do this better or I wanted to do something different. That's my ideal, that's my ideal revision. You don't always get that luxury. Sometimes you're just like, this sucks and somehow I've got to make it seem better. And then you're just fiddling, but, um, but revision in its ideal form it, for me is that. Editing, skimming, and revi uh, revision. Um, I think to a certain extent, I, I agree with all of that. For me, um, when I'm writing something, I do tend to just write out just completely and, um, and then go back and read what I've written before I go to bed or before I give it up and see if I can go a little, you know, and, and then do the, 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 the tweaking. And even to a certain extent, see how much further I can go until I hit a wall. Um, and then the next morning I go back and reread. Like I don't, I, I do a lot of self-editing, um, whether it be for small words or how can I say this better? How can it sound more real? Um, how can it sound more authentic? Um, because I think as a journalist, I, I write differently than I speak. And so one of the challenges for me with dialogue has been uh, listening to how people speak and the cadence to which people speak. And that's why going to cafes was important to me because getting the rhythm of a, a, a particular speech pattern was important to me. I would listen to my friends in a actually screenwriting made me a better listener um, because I would listen to what there was what people were saying and how they were saying it and what inflections um, they gave it. So when I when I edit, it's like, am I keep am I in am I keeping that rhythm? Is that cadence still flowing? So I, I'm looking and editing for specific things, and then with the revision like with what Barrington was saying, you know, I'm looking at the overall and, and what can make the overall better. Um, I guess the editing and skimming kind of go hand in hand for me. It's like I'm doing that all at one time, um, looking for different things. Um, but I actually like the process of editing. I'm, edi I'm, I'm working as an editor now for Los Angeles Review of Books and you know, working on other people's work and looking at how to make that their work better, um, because that was always one of the things that I loved about my editors, is that they kept the voice that I was looking for and and, and my voice in the story, but they just made it that much better. And so that's what editing for me is. It's a it's a way to make things better. Um, not always did editors make it better but those that did that was where I found you know a strength and keeping that voice and making sure the best of that voice came out so what I hope when I'm editing is just honing in on those things that really make that voice sound authentic and and I think to our credit one of the things that people said was that each of the characters had a, their own distinct voice. And so that 
was really gratifying. And so now it's just the revising and making sure all that great voice, you know, is in context with a great story and a strong sensibility and, and good conflict and deep, meaningful, you know, um, uh, great, deep, meaningful, uh, story. Story. Yes, that <laughs> was a word. Yeah. That was a word I couldn't yeah. seem to get out of my mouth. And, and something so. that you said in there also made me think of of kind of you know, I think my mind tends to to jump to this kind of prose editing, but I, I think hearing her talk about voice, one other kind of editing that that you'll do is you'll take a pass. So you'll do a dialogue pass, um, especially if you. <laughs> If we we don't get to do as many passes as we'd like because it seems like we're always writing to a deadline, but but um, you know given the amount of time, like you'll do a dialogue pass and then you'll do kind of a a pass for geography and a pass for like certain characters. Like you'll do you'll do a pass where you're just kind of like tracking where one character is emotionally. Like do, you know do they have a logical progression? of emotion between if you know where the beginning is and you know where the end is, or is there some place, you know, in the <laughs> middle where they're in a scene, but they're getting kind of lost and you can just put in a reaction that shows that something's changing in them, you know, if they're reacting in a certain way to what's going on. So that it, like, you, it's something that you see on the screen more, right? Um, so trying to, to think of, so yeah, so you do your main character pass. Sometimes you'll do like a pass for secondary characters. So you'll do those kind of different passes. And I guess that would also fall under editorial. I'm gonna take something a blogger said. Now I know it's different from what you're doing with your screenplay, but um, I read medium.com a lot. Mm -hmm. And there's a gentleman on there named John Westenberg and he publishes a lot of his blogs. And his latest blog, the other day, well, from the other day was, my secret to publishing every single day, I stick to three drafts. And he says, I realize, um, uh, here, here are his tips, I'm sorry. He said, I only ever allow myself three dra drafts on any blog post. This rule stops me from chasing perfection. It stops me from second guessing. It makes me think carefully about what I'm doing. And it stops me from rambling pointlessly. So I know three drafts for a screenplay is different. But are there certain rules where you, you just you say, okay, I have to stop at this because we're just kind of just... We stop when we're on deadline. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's always that point, like, before we have to turn it in, um, there's like, okay, you, and then you just back engineer it. You're like, okay, here's where we're going to have to turn it in. So here's where we're going to have to send it to my mom to spell check. No, <laughs> or somebody. Who's deadline? Yeah, by the way, who is looking at it? Um, well, the deadline, the deadline that we're looking at right now is a Dream-A-Go deadline. And, uh, and that is after we finished the Switzerland, the Switzerland pro process, they gave us all of these notes because they chose, they chose our script because it was awesome, clearly. But they also chose our script because <laughs> they feel like it has the potential to be more awesome and you know so they give you a lot to do and so they aren't necessarily picking you because they think you're ready and you're complete and it's the best thing ever they're picking it for you know for its promise and maybe it's something that they can kind of nurture as they go along so you get two months 
after the end of the Switzerland thing to revise. You know, you've taken in all of the wisdom and you, revi you revise July 31st is the deadline. And, um, and if at that point they're feeling like it's, it's ready to show producers or whatever, then they'll come out for AFM and they try to set up a few meetings if they can for you. And, and it's called Meet Your Match. And I think, I'm not sure how formal it is, but you know, we'd like for it to be ready for that because that would be a great opportunity. Um, and if they don't feel like it's ready at that point, then you can try for another year <laughs> and turn it in. But, but because we're, you know, celebrating our three-year anniversary, I think we'd really like to have a good revision. Yeah. I think, by the way, I th John Wester? Uh, John West, John Westenberg, and it's J-O-N and then Westenberg.com. Oh, yeah. Um, well, I think John, John Westenberg's three drafts for a blog post is just about perfect. I usually send it after two and then I see it and have to go back and like do another pass because I'm appalled that I've sent it out with so many typos. But you know, it's enough to kind of keep the voice. You, you know, you, you do it and then you let a day pass or whatever. You can kind of go and, and start, you know, cut a few things out so that you don't ramble too much. And then that third thing, I think that's about perfect. Um, but for, I think it's hard with a, a screenplay. You're really, somebody, there's some quote about it that, you know, it's, it, it's never done until it gets made. And mm -hmm. then it's, it's done when somebody rips it out of your hands. Right. Is basically when it's right. done. Yeah, and I think that, you know, even um, talking to documentary filmmakers or other filmmakers, it really is, in terms of the collaborative process, it's still going on because even after we finish this draft, there will be notes that we will get from other people or producers or director. Um, and so the process is done when it goes to screen because there's the editing process that then goes on after we've written it and we've shot it. So um, understanding all that, you know, from, from a screenwriting standpoint though, for us, it does tend to be death. It, we have been pretty much the all three years we've been working on it on deadline for something, either a competition or our producing partner has a deadline where he would like to see you know a certain thing done. So we've tended to write to deadline um, most. Yeah, you don't always know you're writing to deadline at the beginning. You're like, oh, we have so much time. We're just writing, and then the deadline gets closer and closer. <laughs> and you're writing to deadline. There are times when I'm ramped and she's busy or times that she's ready to go and I've got stuff. And so I think we are able to balance the different parts of this partnership um, in ways that when I have to slack off, she can pick it up. When she can't work, I'm on the go with it. So, you know, it, it, you know, it's like, I, I think it, we, we have a yin and yang about us that, that seems to work. And, you know, Barrington has an outside work life. My work life is here. Um, and so I can move and flow in a different kind of way. I can edit in the morning. I can edit at night. I can edit during the middle of the day. She has to be someplace from 12 to 5. Mm -hmm. And so you know, we respect and honor that 
because that's how she makes her money. <laughs> <laughs> that's how she pays her bills. And so for me, it's easier because I don't ha I'm not beholden to a particular place. Mm -hmm. So, um, but then Barrington's got the energy of that little bunny with the batteries. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of, yeah, my, you know, I have a I've pretty good, like, you know, once I'm on task, I, I have a, I have a certain amount of persistence for that. And I think you don't really know what's slowing you down sometimes. I'm sure it works both ways. I think, you know, sometimes Janice will, like we'll be working on something that maybe feels like it's a little bit off topic or something. And I tend to, you know, and I'm always trying to like pair away and like, you know, I have less patience for that kind of thing. Um, because I'm like, I want to be writing. And so like, I'm tired of talking about things. I want to be writing. Um, but she's like, but wait, I need to tell you this and this. And also I made me think about this. And I'm like, it's too much. But then when you get to the page, you never know what you might need, you know? And that's, and, and so sometimes like things that I was impatient in the moment about, I'm like, oh, that little detail is totally going to make it. So and and you don't know how long it would have taken you to come up with that if you hadn't you know taken the time to do that groundwork so um yeah so it's just a time-consuming process writing a screenplay is a time-consuming process <laughs> barrington you had mentioned wanting to get to writing and really mm -hmm. kind of itching to do it but i'm curious for the two of you how much of a role does reading play in your lives. Oh my God. Because we do so yeah. little these days. No. In fact, when you were talking about the writing prompt and, mm -hmm. and, and we went off camera, I was telling Barrington, you know, sometimes when I can't get in, like if I'm looking for a word, just a word, I start to read, you know, just finding inspiration for how words flow, um, how a particular word might stand out to me. Um, I like to read before bed. Um, and because I am editing um, now, um, I'm reading more books um, so that I know what my, first what my writers are writing, but then I do still write journalistically. Um, and so I just read a wonderful book um, by Nagin Farsad, which was really fun. And that was, that was an interesting book to read because she is a filmmaker. Nagin is a, a filmmaker and a comic and um, wrote her first book, How to Make White People Laugh. It was very good, go get it. Um, <laughs> She's making a movie right now. Yeah, she did 13th series. Street, well she did 13th Street Blackout, which was her last uh, feature, um, Independent, which uh, was here at the Los, uh, it was at the LA Film Fest, and we actually saw it in Austin. Um, and she may be working on something else we didn't, uh, she didn't mention anything that she was working on. So I'm going to follow up on that. I followed her on Twitter recently or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. So, uh -huh. so I, read, I read her book and I was sharing it with Barrington. And one of the interesting things, having now gotten to know Nagin and, and her, hearing her comedy, her voice in that um, really comes out in that book. I mean, like at first reading it, I was just like, wow, she just goes on these tangents and she's all over the place. But that's how Nagin talks. And so like reading the book, at first it was hard because I was trying to follow this like kind of fluid train of thought. But once I got into it, it was like listening to Nagin. And so it was just like, 
those are really wonderful examples of like how um, you know, eavesdropping on other people's conversations or reading a particular voice, a particular book that has a, a strong voice. Um, I'm also reading another book uh, by Monica Coleman um, called Bipolar Faith, and it's kind of a an, an autobiographical, uh, kind of autobiographical in that respect. And it's very, you know, the voice is very strong. And so it really gives me a, a sense of, especially with this work, voice is so important, dialogue is so important that, you know, even the reading of these kinds of works has really helped because it's like, oh, that's a really distinct voice. And, and although we have the voices for our, our folks, um, for our characters in this film, as I move forward with the, the other project, the, the, the gospel project, you know, it gives me a different rhythm for, you know, another set of people that, you know, that I can introduce. So yeah, reading is really important. And it's the only other thing that I get to do that's non-writing that's still fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, no, it's, it's hard. I think there's nothing like becoming a writer to deprive you of reading time and getting into the movie business to deprive you of the time to watch anything. <laughs> um, and so that's, that's something that's very sad for me. I was a reader, I was, as a kid, I was, I was a reader and, you know, and a, kind of an escapist reader of fiction. And it's still one of my great joys when you find that, that perfect book that really sucks you in. But I'm a binge reader, which means you know, I start and if I finish at three in the morning, that's when I finish. And if I finish at nine in the morning, that's when I finish. And so sometimes like a few years ago, I think before the series started, I read the first Game of Thrones and I was like, and now I have to put this away or I'm going to destroy my life and lose my job. Um, so, so that's sad. So the things that I'm reading right now and I'm in the middle of all of them are Writing is Rewriting by Jack Epps, uh, The Showrunner's Bible by Neil Landau. These are great books, by the way. And um, write, Crafting Short Screenplays That Connect by Claudia Johnson. Um, there's not like an escapist fiction novel among them. Um, and that's very sad. So I think like many people, um, I read articles that my friends send to me on Facebook. And sometimes those are great. Um, and one of our faculty members gets and leaves his New Yorker in his mailbox at work. And so that's, and I, I, you know, I look forward to riding the train every day because everything in the New Yorker is really well written and it's like these little short, you know, so I read short fiction and I read um, these kind of articles and stuff. But I think one, oh. Uh, one of the things that I really look forward to when we, after this deadline and, and a couple other deadlines I have coming up, is I'm like, I'm going to read a book. Mm -hmm. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. I, you know, and that's so funny because I think one of the things that made me accept the LARB job was I was like, oh, I'll get to read some books. <laughs> you know, She's that editing was... <laughs> for the LA Review of Books right, right now. And She's so, like... yeah, and so it was one of those things where it was, it, it gave me an opportunity, it gave me an excuse to read on a regular basis. And so, you know, I realize I do have more time than I allow myself to actually read um, 
and a lot of the work that I'm now getting a chance to read, I might not have um, because there, there are now books coming to the office and I'm like, oh, this sounds good. And either I will read it or I will, you know, assign a reader, to, uh, a writer to to go and do it. But they they always get their own copies. So so I get to keep it and like it's it's helpful to share. So I think reading is, you know, for time crunched people, it feels like a luxury and, and you try to find any way you can to do it because, you know, you, I don't know. I don't know any writers who don't read. I mean, I think to become a better writer, you have to read. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't, I, I think that the more I get to read, the better, the better I am. Well, do you feel that you can become more connected through reading or watching films? Because I think David Foster Wallace said something about there's no better way than to like get in a reader's skin mm -hmm. than reading mm -hmm. and he talked about being lonely for something that he didn't even know what existed and mm -hmm. what he was lonely for mm -hmm. but he said through reading he was able to sometimes let that go mm -hmm. some people connect with it through books and some through film which is it for the two of you i think it it, it if we mean connecting in maybe the way that David fought, like the say, it, I don't know whose quote it is, we read to know we are not alone. Um, for me that I think is still reading, I, or at least that was what it was first in my life and so I associate it with that more. Mm -hmm. um, it'd be reading and then films. And, and kind of films instead of TV, even though I really love TV, I think some something about the the closure or the way they they come to an end, like you kind of come out feeling a little more connected, where and like a little more sated in terms of your connection. Whereas TV is a little more open ended, and and you kind of walk away, even if it was really good. There's like this kind of dissatisfaction that you feel um, that you're never quite full. Uh, which I think is an interesting, an interesting thing. But I mean, I think, I think I'm a words first person. That's good, full, yeah, yeah. that's a good analogy. Yeah, I think for me it would be reading. Um, even though I grew up as a TV baby, you know, I watched TV more than I read, and as I got older, I got, I got into books, what would be considered late, like I didn't, you know, I wasn't this voracious reader until I got into college, um, and, I think it was because I wanted to know more about the world than what I was being presented. And so, um, and as a writer, the words are so important to me, just the, the physical word, you know, the, the flow of the word, the sound of the word, what the word means. I grew up on television um, and, you know, in the summertime we were outdoors, you know, we were really active kids. So I didn't spend as much time reading until college. And I think that was when I was searching for things outside of the world that I lived in and uh, other kinds of um, 
storytelling and and things that were uh, that were more meaningful to me. Um, I got into I really got heavily into black literature. Um, you know, Zora Neale Hurston, and like my mother was a huge fan of poetry, so I started you know seeking out poets that she you know loved and and would recite sometimes, and so I think through through words and, and having chosen a career that was dependent on words, reading became really important to me. And I even had an editor that said, you know, you, you know, reading is important to your writing. It helps strengthen your writing. And so I used that as a, as a way to help build my vocab, my writing vocabulary, um, and, and to extend myself further, um, you know, I, I just feel like it's it's something that you know in this in my later years I've I've taken a little for granted. But even taking the LA Review of Books job, that was one of the things that was really intriguing to me. It was like I get a chance to read again, and I get a chance to read again for work, and um, and so it puts a, a different onus on it certainly, but. Um, but it, it it has opened me up to 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 authors and and uh, writers and 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 styles of books that maybe I might not have read um, otherwise. You say younger, so, so <laughs> when you were let's say you know five years old or or, sure. or older, did you both know you wanted to be writers professionally? I maybe that's no, like absolutely not too young of a cutoff. No, point, when but. I I didn't know that I wanted to become a writer until I went to college. Um, I was um, studying fashion merchandising at LA Trade Tech and uh, hated my marketing classes, hated the accounting <laughs> classes. And I took what I thought was going to be an easy A in fashion writing. I studied with Gwen Jones, who was the fashion editor of the then Herald Examiner. She was another she was the first black woman besides B.B. Moore Campbell that I knew wrote, um, that made a living as a writer. B.B. Moore Campbell was an author and she went to my church and I didn't understand writing as a career. I didn't know people got paid to do that. <laughs> um, some people don't get paid at all to do it anymore, but, um, but Gwen saw something in the work that I did and she suggested I get an internship and helps me get an internship at Women's Wear Daily. I haven't thought about doing anything else as a career since. There was something um, very, you know, they talk about the power of the pen and I got a chance to experience that and what that meant to me, um, how affecting my work was and the results of it. Um, it was. You know, like my parents come from very blue collar. My, my mother uh, has a bachelor's degree. My father has an associate's degree, but they're both blue collar. They were both blue collar worker, blue collar workers. And so, you know, when I came home one day and told my my parents, I am going to become a journalist. My dad was like, what is that and how much does that pay? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, so that was kind of the 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 mentality that I grew up with, it was that you had to have a, a job that paid and, and it had to have like benefits and all those kinds of things. But what I found with writing was that it, it gave me a voice in the world um, and it gave me an opportunity to say something 
And it also gave me an opportunity to see things in ways that I wouldn't ordinarily see. Like I could go behind the scenes of stuff and then tell everybody what I saw. And so um, I think for me, writing just, writing, I, I came to writing and, and it was something that I didn't even know I had a strength in. And so I began to develop and hone that craft but it wasn't something that I set out to do. But now, you know, like as the as the world is changing and every everything is now becoming content, um, you know, it's it's about me finding a way to do the thing that I love as passionately as I did when I first started because. I don't like it being called content. It's still writing to me. You know, something, it, it means something to me to be a writer. Like when blogging came out, I was like, no, I am a journalist. You know, I was very proud of that. I was very proud of calling myself a writer. Um, I'm very, very conscientious and proud of being an artist, uh, someone who's transitioned into something that feels very artistic. And so like content doesn't sound like anything to me. And so content sounds like stuff you don't really need to pay for. Sure. <laughs> branded content. Now there's branded content. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think that, you know, as as I've, you know, as I've come along, you know, holding on to that writing, that that thing that says I'm a writer is what really still cuz that's what that's what drew me in was the writing, you know. And so um there are always, you know, calls that, you know, I should do, you know, I should probably be making more and mm -hmm. doing more. But if it doesn't have anything to do with writing, I don't really care. Mm -hmm. You know, so. Barrington, for you, do you remember the first time you realized I want to be a writer? Yeah, and, and it was not a quick, it was not a quick realization. Um, I think I always, you look back in hindsight, you're like, oh, I've always wanted to be a writer. But in, in truth, I was, a, I was a huge reader as, it was, as a kid. Um, yes, it was also Indiana. Yes, it was summer. My mom would set, tell us to go outside and read, but then <laughs> she would find me hiding behind the curtains in the air conditioning, like reading my book. Or if I had to go outside, I would like, there was this ditch under the highway overpass where I'd be with my, you know, with my book. But it never occurred to me that, that I could, that I would be a person who would craft something and like figure out what these people would do and then what they would do next and what they would do next. Like that seemed, I think, super pie in the sky to me. Like it, it didn't occur to me that, that that was something that I could do. I was a theater major in college and I thought I was going to direct um, and a lot of, and, and I look back now and I'm like, oh, a lot of the scenes that I directed that were very successful were scenes I wrote so I could direct them. But of course it was that combination that made them successful. Um, and, and my jobs out of college, um, I had a, a pretty, by that point, I had a pretty good stage management background and I parlayed that into being a production coordinator for videos and uh, industrials and commercials in Chicago and then when I made the jump and came to LA um, the same kind of thing I did 
the logistics for production. I think I always thought, oh, I'm, someday I'm going to be a director, and someday somebody's going to let me be a director. But I didn't have any sense of what that, like, I just thought that you got on a set and you worked really hard and you, you know, organized things and made the phone calls and, you know, I, I was, but there's a, there's a ladder for that. There's a ladder for helping other people be creative um, that you, you know, you can go from production assistant to production coordinator to associate producer to producer. And that's, that's something that I did. Um, and it wasn't until I got married and I moved to the middle of Australia with my husband. And uh, while I, oh, but I should say that I'm gonna backtrack a little bit, that as a kid, I had, you know, a bunch of spiral ring notebooks full of like just writing. So I was a journaler and, and kind of all through my life, I've always been somebody mm -hmm. who instinct, like I had to write. Right. Um, so, so there was always that drive, but hmm. I just, I didn't, I mean, I kind of look back and I'm amazed. I'm like, how did I not make this connection? That's so funny. Um, so I moved <laughs> to Australia with my husband. Um, he was, he was an aerospace engineer at the time. And so it was like, we lived in the desert um, and uh, like kind of in the middle of Australia. And there's like these satellite monitoring stations in the middle of the desert. And I'm like, what am I gonna do with myself? Um, and so then I started um, taking some art classes, which was great and I loved it. And I have a little bit of background in, in that arena as well. And, um, and then I was diagnosed with cancer in 2003 and uh, in the wake of that, it's all a happy story, everything's good now, but I, I am one of those people who kind of didn't do the chemotherapy. I like meditated and went to cancer camp and juiced carrots. And so at that point I was like, well, I don't think I should be spending, um, you know, like eight hours in the studio with like all the solvents and the, you know, the stuff like for, for screen printing, which was kind of the main thing that I did. And um, so at that point, I, I was kind of like, it was, it was just kind of like a weird time. I was kind of physically recovering still. And, and you know, I had this going on. I was like, I'm gonna take a writing class at Gotham Writers Workshop, that online, uh, they're associated with Zoetrope. And I ended up doing two or three classes through them and they were great, I highly recommend them. So that was kind of my first official right I think I think I tested out of English in in college you know how you you do so I don't even think I took an English class in, in my undergraduate uh, career in college and I kind of look back and I'm like what was I thinking all I loved to do was read I didn't even take a literature class um, but so I wrote you know so there I, I wrote some stories and then one day my husband the aerospace engineer came home and he said there's this guy at work who's quitting to go to film school. He sucks. He's terrible at everything. He's like, if anybody should go to film school, I should go to film school. And then this kind of like over the course of a couple of days, you know, he really did love movies and he was somebody who would watch them over and over again. He's like, I should go to film school. And then it be kind of became this thing where I'm like, well, I've always, I always kind of thought, oh, I'm gonna go to grad school someday. And I'm like, well, if you're going to school, I'm going to school. And I'm like, what, what can I go to school in? Like, because there's no grad school for production coordinators and, I, and theater didn't seem quite 
right after, because I'd been working with film and video all this time, I was like, well, I wrote these stories for the Gotham Writers Workshop thing. I'm like, I'm gonna get an MFA in writing. And then it seemed like totally, I was like, yeah, that's what I should do. And so I sent my stories off and I, we both got into um, the program that Florida, he got into the film program and I got into the English program at Florida State and they had a good assistantship program, like a teaching, you know, you could get a TA ship. And so we're like, okay, that, that seems good. And that was so, that was a little bit down the road for me. And I, play, I had to play a lot of catch up because um, it was an MFA program that was combined with a PhD program. So like the very first writing workshop I took was with a PhD candidate who had been through the Iowa Writers Workshop for his MFA. And the first thing you have to do to get into the Iowa Writers Workshop is I think they give you this list of 100 books you need to have read before you even start the program. And, you know, so I, I was underread and undertrained, <laughs> and um, I've kind of made up for that since then. I've done a lot of, I went from that program and when we moved out to LA, then I used that to get into the, uh, the screenwriting program at USC. And then I just kind of, as per, like my day job allowed me to pick up some extra classes. And that's mm -hmm. how um, we did a, a multi-genre writing, uh, thing at USC um, as well. But anyway, so it took me forever to figure out I was a writer, <laughs> <laughs> is, is the answer to that question. That's how the two of you met? So. Yeah, that's how we met. Um, I and we was, weren't there at the same time. We weren't time, there at the same but time. We time, were but alumna. We were, uh, alumna. We, well, we're alumnae. Alumnae. Yeah. Alumna? Alumna. That's the plural? Of yeah, yeah okay. for, for the female. The female plural. Oh, okay. It's a female right. plural. It's wow. alumnae. No, no, no. <laughs> but yes, we met <clears throat> at a mixer of alums, mm -hmm. and um, part of the uh, afternoon gathering, we were supposed to t tell a little bit about ourselves, what we were looking to do, and what we could help um, someone else in the group do. And uh, I had just um, started, I had just finished like, um, six weeks of exhaustive research into Persian culture for this screenplay adaptation um, of the book. And uh, uh, Barrington, or even I think the instructor mentioned that Barrington could help anybody with a screenplay. And so I wasn't, you know, all I wanted was an outline. So I thought, ooh, okay. So I made a beeline to her and um, gave her a copy of the book. And so that was, kind of how we we started swirling swirling it was swirling yeah so so but it was interesting when Barrington was talking about <coughs> her journaling as a as a young person I did do a lot of that when I was growing up and you know because I was such an avid TV watcher I would find myself envisioning my self or people that looked like me into my favorite TV shows and so my brother and I would sometimes like write little like guest starring roles for ourselves and like this would be how we would see this episode going. Um, That's awesome. You guys wrote fan fiction. We did, but we didn't know and like yeah, and before when you, it existed. Yeah, and when you were saying that, I was like, you know, the fact that I decided to do a writing course in college for an easy A was because that was the thing that I did for fun, but I never imagined doing it as 
a profession. Like I didn't think that was something you did. Um, but I, you know, like I would write stories about the kids at church. Mm -hmm. Like I have this, I still have it. Like my brother asked me about it like years ago. He's like, you really should publish that. <laughs> and it was called All God's Children. It was like my soap opera version of all the kids at <laughs> church. I shouldn't say this. <laughs> but it was like, and it was like all, cause there were all, the, it was hormones. We were teenagers. Mm -hmm. It was all these cast of crazy, kids from different walks of life you know we had kids from Inglewood and King's Fairfax High and you know all the school rivalries and things like that and I was the nerdy kid that all the cool kids talk to and so I know all their secrets and then of course I tell my brother all of them because did you know blah, blah, blah. and he was like and so we were I wrote a little little play thing and I still have it in in my stuff it's like the one thing that I kept because it's just hysterical and um and I actually won like a, a, a competition in mm -hmm. high school for writing and I found that while I was cleaning right. up recently so yeah I, it, it's funny I, I never really thought about it but I think I've been writing something in some kind of way my my whole life you both appear determined to have your script Lovers in their right mind. That's yes. the name of your project? Okay. Yes. Made into a movie. When did you go from the mindset of writers to producers? Like, what, what did you feel that <laughs> at some point you could pitch it and someone else would make it and then you started to realize, okay, if this is going to get made? Well, it was kind of a, a interesting uh, when we first developed the outline for the project. It did have a production. It was, it was for a production the, company. Her book was under option. So yes, they her were, name was under option. Right. So they were open to writers to, they'd sent the book out apparently to a few writers to see if they might have a take on it. And I'm not sure that they got a great response, but yeah. Janice had said, can I try? Right. And they said, sure. And um, I think that, that what this particular company was probably looking for was a little bit of, you know, love actually, something love actually love with actually. like multiracial couples, because if you've read the book, it's kind of a how-to guide. Yeah. It's kind of like so what to expect when you're expecting, expecting had just or, come out. Uh, the uh, Steve Harvey book had just come out. Um, uh, why can't I remember something? That? Yeah, I can't remember. The, what it, was. it was a dating book. Yeah. Um, that was made a into women Mars. No, no, not Mars, no. Venus, Why can't I think about it? Because Nico was in the, the yeah. second one, but it made two films, and um, and so I think they were looking for something more ensemble and maybe a little broader and a little bit more broader and a lot more comedic. I am. I tend to be someone who gravitates towards independent films. I'm a huge fan of drama. And so um, my idea was more along the lines, even though this was a little comedic, but you know, like my big fat Greek wedding, where it was one couple that was dealing with the the uh, intercultural inter dynamic, and you know, guess who's coming to dinner was also a big, you know, like when I was thinking of 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 films in this genre, um, it always dealt with one person, you know, one couple, um, and their relationship with their family so um, they thought it was a really cool idea but they didn't feel like they could sell it and in the interim um, Navi Nigavan and I had been dating um, and he 
as an actor. He was on Homeland and played Abu Nazir for two seasons. And he said, "Well, I want to see it because you've been talking to me about this project, and you know, and you know, like his big thing was, am I research for this, or what? What's what's what's, what's really going on between us?" And so, um, so he, Barrington, and I once the production company said, "Well, you know, thanks, but no thanks." Um, I shed a few tears, and <laughs> then. He said, well, I want to see what you've done, what you guys have done. And we met at uh, Koopa Cafe in Beverly Hills. I will never forget this. And we were all ready to kind of just like, well, you know, we'll hear you out, but we're kind of done because we didn't have the protection of a production company behind us. And we left there. I remember us walking to our cars because he had come and then left and we left after him and we were like wait did he just talk us into writing this screenplay and producing it ourselves because he really felt like there was something there he's like we can do this movie this is you know we can produce it ourselves and we were just like wait did we just agree to do this so we kind of became de facto producers because we wanted to see this project done so yeah yes and and I don't think that we've given up yet on the the idea that somebody might come in and sure. sweep us off our feet. Although it's harder. I mean, you get close. You you. I think especially early in the writing process, you're like, oh, maybe we'll just have the script and somebody's going to buy it. They're going to make it, and like, we can go on with our lives. But you you get attached to something, and then you start to have more ideas about how you might like to have it made. Or, you know how you you kind of want to you, you you feel more ownership over it and at this point it would have it would have to be the right I think it would have to be the right offer or the right deal um, fortunately again as as my represent as my representation and and others nobody seems to be jumping on the opportunity to do it instead of us so we're, we're prob <laughs> hopefully we don't we probably won't have to make that choice. Right. We'll have to bring on a real, a real well, yeah. producer, yeah, you know, a more point. experienced <laughs> producer who knows people with money. Yeah. Well, Janice, aside from you loving drama and independent film, why tackle this subject dramatically instead of using humor, which seems to be the way that people find certain things that scare because the I'm general populace? Huge drama queen. <laughs> <laughs> what? Well, why not do it with humor? Um. Because I think you can say, I mean, I don't think that this is complete, you know, there's humor in we, this. We've We're gone kind of back and forth on whether to call it a dramedy or a, you or know, a straight quir ahead. quirky indies kind of fall in that, tonally in that, uh, I don't know, uncanny valley of, is it a comedy? Is it a drama? Yeah. And, I mean, and we certainly have comedic There's comedic scenes, scenes and comedic and elements. It's just yeah. not broad. It's not a, yeah, it's not a broad comedy. Um, and I, I think that, it, to me, you know, it's an independent film in that it lives in that same kind of sensibility where you can have a film feel like your life. My life is not completely dramatic. It's not completely humorous. It just is my life. And 
it encompasses all of those things. And so this film encompasses that. You know, it has some drama, it has some comedy, it has some romance, it has some sex, you know. (laughs) You know, it has some life. Um, And so I think that for me, it's important. It's important for me for this film to look like it's lived, like it's 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 a project that lives in in this time in this space. Um, it's really important for me that the cast looks like the people we're writing about. It's important for me for them to sound like the people that we're writing about. And so whether that be, you know, a lot of the the script has Persian dialogue in it. A lot of the script has, because Persian Americans do speak their own language when they're with themselves. That's real to me. And that became very, and even in conversation, they can flow from Persian to English. And that's a part of the script because, and, and, and so a lot of my eavesdropping and listening and having friends who are Persian and, and having a Persian producer and uh, people involved with this project who um, speak to the sensibilities that we're trying to affect, it gives the film its life. And so that, you know, that's, 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 what, that's what connects me to independent film because these are stories that, that aren't highly, you know, financed. So you're getting to the core, you know, and we, you know, we found, found that like, we've got to cut some scenes because we can't afford to like go to all these different sets. And so you get to the core of it, you get to the heart of it. And not that the, the big budget films aren't great, but there's something connective to me about that kind of stripping down of all the, the stuff and the glamour and the cutesy and the whatever, and you get to the core of the story. That's, that's kind of what I wanted to do is just tell, a, it's a good story. It's, it's it, drama, comedy, it's a good story. And I think that's what, what's resonating with the people that read it.